Welcome to Shortcast Over Coffee. In the world of food, earning a Michelin star is like winning an Oscar. Very difficult and very very rare. Our guest today has two. Earning two Michelin stars is almost impossible. Only around 140 restaurants in the world hold that distinction. Today we have with us Chef Srijit Gopinathan. His love for food and obsession with detail has helped him build a business that includes two of the best Indian restaurants in California, Etan in Palo Alto and the recently opened Copra in San Francisco. Srijit is the chief culinary officer at Mamu, a company that makes innovative mushroom and chickpea based sustainable alternatives to traditionally meat based dishes like burgers. Different from other vegetarian substitutes, Mamu's products while possessing a nice bite and juicy texture do not imitate meat. He's also the part of Little Blue Door, an Indian street food inspired outlet at the State Street Market in Los Altos, California. In today's episode, we discuss Srijit's journey from his little village in India to Maldives and London and eventually San Francisco. He talks about his passion for farm fresh ingredients and the ever evolving Cal Indian cuisine and thoughts on quick service restaurants with an Indian twist. Welcome Chef Srijit uh, to the podcast. Uh, really really honored to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, while prepping for the show I I understood that you first came to SF after spending time in London and Maldives. Can you tell me more yeah, about more. your culinary journey? Yeah, started my career in um, actually my culinary career started in Bangalore, commercial uh, in the commercial uh, scale. Otherwise, I was a uh, my own little chef at my home. Uh, my executive chef was my grandmother. Uh, so uh, then, uh, when I came to Bangalore to do my hotel management, uh, I did not come to do hotel management thinking that I'm going to be a chef. Number one, uh, even though I I love eating food and I enjoyed cooking my own food, but I never thought I would end up cooking for somebody else or make my living out of cooking. So um, journey starts in Bangalore at a culinary school out of Bangalore University. Then uh, moved, uh, worked in a couple of hotels. And I mean, those days you don't have restaurants like today. You don't have this freestanding restaurants and all those story. A good good food and beverage uh, to learn good food and beverage you need to go to a, a five star hotel that's the dream so i trained at a couple of uh, uh, good hotels there and then uh, worked for a couple of years in bangalore and then moved to maldives with taj hotels <clears throat> company that was my first job at with taj opening a uh, be part of the opening team for taj exotica bank uh, maldives and then from there the work for four or five years i believe uh, and then uh, in the island enjoyed my bachelorhood there <laughs> uh, in between of course being in maldives um fortunately i was not making money in rupees i was making in dollars so i could just being a single guy uh, i could actually afford to spend a little money it, i i did travel enough uh, whenever i got an opportunity i did go out an opportunity to go to singapore or dubai or uh, london everywhere so i kept going in and out uh, uh, that gave me a little taste of uh, 
the, the rest of the world. I mean, I, I, I've only seen Biden, I've only seen India and Maldives the best. So now I know uh, how does the rest of the world taste like. Uh, that made me think, okay, now I have to uh, move. Somehow I, I need to figure out a way to move from here to actually go to the Western world where uh, I could do a little more than what I'm doing today kind of a thing. So fortunately, Taj actually was very helpful those days. Uh, helped me, uh, let me go to uh, London to do a stagiarship in uh, a couple of restaurants. Uh, that opened a lot of things up for me. That uh, short stint or some, some time in London as well as in Oxford with Emmanuel Cartier-Saison, all those things really opened up a lot of stuff uh, for me. From there, I went back. Then I got another opportunity to go to uh, East Coast in US to do uh, a little short stint at the Culinary Institute of America, CIA. Uh, spent some time there. That was all luxury for me, but a boy from a little village coming out and getting these opportunities, little opportunities, but those are like huge for me. Then uh, went back to Maldives post tsunami. Uh, when we, in tsunami destroyed the entire uh, Taj Exotica. Oh. Uh, I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was a survivor. I was, we were all like the entire island were tsunami survivors. Oh, oh walk, uh, walk, walk us through <laughs> some of those things. Wow, that's I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. You were in Taj while the tsunami exotica. Hit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Completely the entire island. The island in Maldives is a little little strip of land. I mean, it's all you have in the island is the resort and then the place where we live. Uh, so the entire island was completely sweeped out. I mean, there was nothing left after the tsunami. There's some little buildings here and there, all the rooms and all. I mean, most of it was all not usably destroyed. Uh, it took almost a year plus or so to build it back. Uh, so I had to. So <clears throat> I uh, fortunately Taj. Uh, took care of us really well. That's, that's one of those things I still think. I don't work for Taj now, but I am still very thankful to what they did those days. Uh, Sent us out to study some of them, some sabbaticals some trainings and all those things. So I really could put that time into good use. Um, I learned a new thing called, I actually learned the new word called tsunami then. I never knew there's a word called tsunami. Even I existed. think the entire world uh, learned it during yeah, that time. For, yeah, I, I read it first time when I saw in the next day morning newspaper. Uh, I didn't know if I should pronounce T on the tsunami or not. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That I was that uh, ignorant to the word tsunami. Uh, it's you know, it's like a Japanese word like ikijime and and all those things. It's like a new word to me. Anyways, so uh, so that that's and then uh, that I mean I came to that subject just to explain how travel uh, and the little exposure outside uh, to the Western world actually helped me those days. Then I went back to Maldives at that point, um, post tsunami opening, I went back to Maldives to help open Taj Exotica, that from there, I was leaving to, for another assignment in Dubai, being a, being a Malu, uh, obviously if you don't go to, if you don't, go, don't pay pilgrimage to Dubai, then you're not complete. So I thought I'll also go do that. At that time, that was the time when Taj was actually bought a place in, um, which is Campton Place, uh, Taj Hotel, and now moved into, uh, they offered me to go there if you like. Since you're leaving, why don't you do this? I said, okay, perfect. Uh, I just took, picked up that and came here in 2007. Uh, <clears throat> I came here and then realized uh, the whole world is going down. That's the 2008, uh, uh, what is it called? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
one crisis after the other okay. yeah, yeah yeah in malayalam there is saying no paavi jellundalam ellam paadalam exactly so so that happened <laughs> then i mean i i feel it's all for good you know there is there is a reason why all these things happen i mean there is definitely right. the reason why and then uh, i thought i came to a new place campton place i mean for any chef it's a dream place to come in because many amazing chefs uh, came out of that little restaurant so i was so nervous to actually take up the assignment i didn't know what i was going to do but at the same time i also knew kind of i, I knew what i want to do but i didn't know if i could i would be uh, able to do or uh, would i have the resource and, uh, and and other things to do uh, but the recession uh, i kind of it was it was a thing like you know uh, kind of in uh, using that adversity to your advantage uh, it was very calm and nobody was caring about uh, even does is the restaurant is going to do well or not because people are so worried about even you know uh, you know handling the day to day operation of the hotel restaurant was the last priority at that point because yeah. there's a bigger picture to take care of there are so many employees business and all those things are going down they were trying to manage that so i slowly uh, was watching that and i thought that i was planning my move what should i do with this restaurant because i'm in middle of san francisco an indian guy is run the restaurant run by french swiss and american chefs uh this is an experiment which nobody would give me an opportunity uh to experiment an indian guy who's never worked in us before to run a restaurant in, in san francisco so at that point i was not being scrutinized by anyone it was just happening so i just thought okay let me take advantage of this and i started writing my own things thinking what would work in this town i started understanding i understood the pulse of the people spoke to many and what would work kind of thing that's when i thought that at one point i thought the way forward is not doing what they did before i have to do something slightly different which would actually uh, mean something uh, to me as well as the people who see which which it needs to be me on the menu uh, it cannot be uh, i cannot embrace an existing idea which was successful uh, before that doesn't make any sense it, it it it's not always one thing which is successful to one person would again be successful for me so i clearly understood that that formula which was working in campton place will not work for me mm. uh, in san francisco so i decided okay do something called let me bring embrace my ethnicity into the whole story of cuisine here uh, that's when i decided okay i couldn't embrace it to a level where i would do today a little so micro and narrow those days i thought okay let me in the indian ethnicity kind of thing in a little macro way of doing it so i call it cal indian cuisine at that point mm. uh, you know so I, i mean obviously it was flat out indian food i was not i didn't have the uh, audacity at that point to do plus i i would have thought i mean i thought it wouldn't be the right time now to do it so let me just take it in installments let's move into cal indian then probably into indian oh <laughs> so yeah. kind of thing, it's know? interesting you talk about your culinary school uh, and that you went there not to become a chef what was the initial idea what did you go there for see very simple you know uh, those days uh, this is uh, this is in uh, early 2000 late 90s late 99s uh, 2000 
to my mom, my mom was a teacher. My dad is, uh, used to work for uh, um, CBI, Central Bureau of Investigation. So those two, if I say that I want to be a, I want to be a cook, that's it. I may, I may not have a space at my home. <laughs> so it's almost like an impossible thing to think those days because cooking was never a career for an educated man or woman. You know, it's not a thing. You just those days it used to be, uh, even though at that point the TV is already. Uh, there, I mean, TV shows are already there about cooking. People are still slowly starting to come out. But I'm from a village. I mean, you just go tell somebody that I'm going to do three years bachelor's to learn how to cook. Oh, the first question is going to be, why would you go all the way there to learn three years? Why don't you just learn in one of the one of the hotels or restaurants here? Why waste money? That's the first question comes out of it. So obviously, uh, which was in the, uh, it was. I would use the word appropriate to even tell my parents that I want to be a chef. It was just not there. <laughs> so, so I, I, it was almost like, uh, you know, shooting in darkness. I said, it's like, I'll do hotel management. Maybe I'll become a, some kind of a manager, uh, you know, or some of that sort. I still remember vaguely, I, this really happened. My grandma was, uh, um, uh, alive then. She, when I came after my first uh, year in hotel school, I just came home and I, she asked me, so what do you do? I said that I am doing hotel management. She has no clue. What it so she asked me, uh, so you would be sitting, you'd be the guy who would be sitting at the door where you'll be collecting the money and just putting in the drawer. Is that what you'd be doing? <laughs> so, so I, that, I don't think so because she's envisioning a little restaurant hometown where the guy sits in the right side corner of the uh, front room wherein you just give cash and you just take the cash and put it in the drawer and then you know wait for the other guy that's exactly what she is. so i used to laugh at that i was laughing loud so that's obviously the reason why going back to your question why i i never told her i never thought even um that i want to be a chef oh interesting and when you moved to san francisco in 2008 was Campton Place, what what cuisine was Campton Place serving at the time? It was, uh, I mean, it's, it was, I mean, it's, it, see, uh, the, the point is uh, Campton Place was never driven by Campton Place cuisine. It was always driven by the chefs who did then. So yeah. uh, it was uh, started with, I think, Bradley Ogden. He was serving American and then Jan Bombom and Laura Mandrake was French. Uh, he, he was there for five or six or seven years. He was doing like a very French, uh, modern French kind of a thing. Then Daniel Hamm was there. He was Swiss chef, very European style. And there was a period where uh, there was in and out of chefs happened for two years. Then Campton Place came down. And then that's when an Indian guy going in for the uh, st uh, stint there. And that's that's it. So the cuisine was always different. I mean, it's kind of uh, California French to kind of Swiss to European kind of a thing. So Indian was never even probably the, I mean, the guy who built Campton Place and the concept would be like struggling in his grave if he see that, oh my God, an Indian dude who's actually cooking today. I'm sure he's going to so, be happy with the way it's doing now though. I don't know what now, it, he, I'm sure he was happy the way it did well when I was there, but now probably it changed because tsunami, post-tsunami changed, I moved out and then a lot of things changed and probably now, I don't know what's the deal right now. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, I was following you. Or I have been following you on social media for a bit. And I see that you you shop a lot at farmer's markets. 
<laughs> or, or you post. I mean, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, you you shop a lot at farmers markets. Is is how important is seasonal or local ingredients important for for you in your cooking? See, uh, it is extremely important to answer the question in short. Um, but if you look at it, actually. Uh, even though we were back home, it was not ultra seasonal. We were always local. Uh, even in back home, it was very local. I mean, I never grew up in a in a city. I mean, I came to city very late. Bangalore is very late. So when I was growing up, it was always what was available in the market, what the lady or the man who brought in uh, either on her head or uh, on on his or her bicycle uh, in the back. That's what you bought, right? I mean, you you did not go shop it from somewhere else. You always bought it locally. Uh, what's available that day? What's available that week? I mean, you probably buy. So that is always therein. So coming to California, uh, I mean, we never spoke about this. Back home, we never just talked about it or we never exaggerated about this whole thing of being seasonal, being local. It was a natural thing. But when you come to California, you are actually, people talk about it loudly saying that, I want to buy the local stuff. I want to go pick up from farmer's market. It's a very norm. It's very norm here. Uh, but it is an exaggerated norm. It's like said out loud. You know what I mean? Uh, it's It applies to, that actually applies to everything. Even in Indian food, uh, one of the oldest cuisines, we don't exaggerate. For the longest time, we didn't exaggerate. We didn't tell people. We didn't explain people. We didn't communicate to the, the world how good we are, how good the food is. So it became that it was one of those poor man's cuisine for the longest time. Now, of course, it's bouncing back like crazy. That's different. People are loving it. But I'm saying 25 years before, Indian food was still considered a bowl of curry. Uh, so coming back to your question, sorry, I'm just kind of digressing. Uh, yes, I do a lot of uh, local shopping. I try and uh, deal with local farmers and local produce and, and which is in season as much as possible. And it's not that being an Indian food, you can't completely do that because there are things we need, you need to bring from outside the country, which is, which is normal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you bring up the, the concept of Indian food as poor man's food. And after moving to the US or even in India, you know, when you think about fine dining, it's usually Italian, Japanese or French cuisine. <laughs> and nobody even talks about Indian, Indian cuisine as fine dining. Do you think it's mostly because Indian restaurants are not graded as much in the Michelin scale? Or why do you think that is the case? Why doesn't Indian food come in the top of the fine dining list? <laughs> So um, this is how I look at it, you know. Uh, why is because you don't have a product because you don't have a creator. Hmm. You know what I mean? You did not. You did not. You don't have a product if there is no creator, right? So the problem is the creators were not there. How did Indian food first of all? I, I, let's keep this Indian food in. India for a for a minute, just hold on to that. I'm talking about the international arena. If you look at it, you did not have good Indian chef Indian chefs come out of India to create that. Good Italian chefs came to uh, uh, to America, or the American chefs went to Italy, or I mean, uh, uh, whatever it is. So, but Indian chefs uh, like 40 years ago or 35 years ago, you did not have good Indian chefs travel abroad to showcase to the foreigners to the Western world or to the any world for that matter. 
that's because uh, first of all there was no chefs in india <laughs> i mean all the chefs were chefs because they were considering that to be a job like to actually make their salaries it was never everybody was of course everybody everyone makes it's a career for everyone of course i understand but it was purely like another job now, cooking is not always just like another job you need to have a good pinch of passion in this whole game otherwise it's hard because you don't make a million buck or you don't make you don't get rich just like that so you need to have that extra push and passion for that number one so people never traveled outside to showcase it there was not many culinary events those days of course forget about social media which is never there that's a different story tv was not there indian chefs were not on television television helped i got to say i don't i'm not a big fan of television but uh, but it did help it really helped social media took it to the next level that's a different story but those days it was not it's about communication it's about saying your story you know the i came to know saying your story in the western world is so important we never told our story <laughs> we never said that i mean if you don't tell your story how do people listen to it i mean you got to you got to tell your story it's not there uh, today, uh, uh, now, uh, that's one of the reasons why, to begin with, it was not there. Indian cuisine was never a cuisine abroad. It was just something where an Indian tech guy or an Indian doctor who came all the way to America or to London in his ship sitting in for 30 days, he traveled here and now he comes here, I don't have my food. How do I cook? I don't want to cook. So what do I do? I get my maid and maybe my wife may help. Those days all, it's a wife thing, right? I mean, cooking was women's thing those days and, and somebody will help and let's do something here. So people those days in olden days used to create, make restaurants for them, for, for a selfish reason for them to eat food. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, this was another thing my uh, previous guest brought up was that, you know, in England, the curry houses were started mostly by Silleti, you know, I think fishermen. And they started to have curry houses as like, you know, to go or take out. And it was kind of different in the US because a lot of doctors and engineers migrated. And like you said, you know, they wanted to have their own food. So yeah exactly so they had the money and they had the resources they started doing it was not their main thing it was just side thing for them for the for them to come in, in the evening or in the morning to have some breakfast lunch or dinner that's how it all created and if you look at it a lot of uh, you see the northern northern indian food was mostly available food because that was i i'm i'm pretty sure uh, in numbers northern indians moved here more those days that's probably the reason why because indian food means first thing come palak paneer saag paneer you know uh, dal makhani and naans and things like that in south indian food came very late a little more passive when it comes to entrepreneurship those days now it's a different ball game so never never had this thing so that's how it started it was never done by uh, a skilled or a or a trained professional so obviously, when you don't do that, you, you, it's an amateur situation, right? You're just building something just to make. And it took a long time to get there. So that's where it just, it's the, uh, you know, it, that's how it all started. And, and then slowly in probably in 90s, uh, maybe like 80s, 90s, then slowly professional chefs started coming in and then they started building. It takes a long time. And then you also need to convince the public, right? You can't just make a restaurant of a scale of a today's scale just to feed 
uh, a few Indians, you got to have the buy-in from the non-Indians so that you can actually fill up the place and run the place, make it a business. Because end of the day, you don't want to do something which to make a loss. So yeah, what, and going back, go ahead. Yeah, what what fascinates me is that for for in for something like an Indian food, which started off as you know to go, there's not much of a fast food presence in in the U.S. at least. Like we don't have a single fast food chain across America that serves Indian or Indianish food. True, uh, I I get it. Uh, I I have a theory for so basically uh, when it comes to QSR, QSR when where is a QSR, a QSR happens mostly it's in a high traffic areas. The business of QSR is between eleven in the morning to six in the evening. Unless you are in a very residential place or in a market or something like that, so mostly your QSRs are outside. Uh, you know, it, it's and QSR is not a place where you go dressed up to celebrate your birthday you know, at six o'clock or seven o'clock. That's not the kind of business. It is. So it's a different kind of business. So in other words, you have to look at it from two angles, right? You have to look at it from the uh, consumer's angle and and the investor's angle or or or, or entrepreneur's angle. So uh, you don't build QSR in 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 a uh, like you would build a in in a middle of Palo Alto where you in the size of an Etan or a Copra. You don't do that. You just build QSR in a place. Of course, you'll have in Palo Alto, obviously, but in a place where it actually fits high traffic area. That's what that's what we do. So uh, going back to your question, uh, number one, uh, that's that's number one. Second thing, uh, our our food is. Uh, super flavorful very tasty and it also uh, comes with some uh, corns and uh, it's uh, because it is flavorful it's high, it's aromatic it's um, you know uh, and for some people it is heavy even though it is perceived heavy it's only as heavy as any american food or any it's not a heavy man because uh, if uh, i've done that comparison before now, that's one of the reasons probably uh, if you look at it, an office goer will come and just quickly come pick it up and go. You need a you need a food which is small in size, quick pick up and quick eat and go. Do not want to make your hands dirty. Do not want to uh, mess around with that. Do not want to. You, you, I mean, people look for less work uh, kind of a meal, you know, a meal with very less work quickly go. So I don't think anyone approached Indian food from that angle for the longest time. Uh, and in last 10 years or 12 years, I have seen this process uh, of a lot of restaurant tours of beginning to uh, start this. Mostly tech entrepreneurs who are uh, uh, who are uh, uh, successful techs, uh, tech exits, exit people who are actually wanting, uh, wanting to get into this because they clearly see there's a scalability in this. Uh, it's more than a restaurant business. It, it's more of a, a food startup kind of a thing. They see it, and now the technology is actually helping it also. For example, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, new kind of machineries where you can actually bulk up things faster. You can process quickly. Uh, to take it to the next level, now AI is playing games in this. Uh, a, a company called Cloud Chef uh, is now in town, which is actually. Uh, preparing uh, the, uh, what is it called, uh, FastCat, I mean, QSR, uh, to take it to the, probably the next level to 
to completely accelerate the game wherein it'll automate the whole cooking process. Uh, I know the CEO of uh, uh, Cloud Chef, Nikhil, Nikhil Abraham, uh, fellow Malayali, uh, who's um, IIT Bombay. Uh, so anyways, so uh, that's out of Palo Alto. So anyways, uh, I think to answer your question, uh, there is an old saying in, in Rajinigan movie, you know, later on the latest hour went. So the, it's it's actually happening. It's actually, uh, even though it is late, but the next 10 years is going to be crazy. You'll okay. see a lot of QSR. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to comment on what quality is going to be, but definitely it's going to be a good size, civil size of uh, Indian QSRs. Are, you're going to see that a lot. Okay, okay. Yeah. And this is my first time interviewing a chef. As a chef, you're judged every single day, right? I mean, I work in corporate and it's okay mm -hmm. if we mess up something, we'll have a support staff to to help us. Uh, and it's, it's not of a huge impact. Uh, I feel like people like civil engineers, doctors and chefs are judged every single day for their work and bad publicity travels way fast. So how do you deal with how do you deal with that? The, the pressure of being judged every single day. Good. Actually, it's a really good question. Uh, the funniest part is you get judged for your work, somebody else's work and 200 other people's work uh, on a daily basis. Of course, you <laughs> you you do get the uh, uh, goodness of all the work they do. You also get the badness of the work they do, which, which I'm happy with. But uh, yes, uh, we do get judged a lot um, because Unlike technology or any other things, uh, food is very personal. Food is very subjective. Uh, food is very, uh, it is like every, everyone is a critic of food. Like everyone have their own way of looking at food and critiquing it. It's because technology is not something which you were born with, you just see. But food is something you were born the day you were born, you're eating food and you you continue to eat and you have your way of enjoying certain things and not enjoying every small little uh, aspects of uh, life which uh, uh, will affect their way of uh, perceiving about food. And, and based on that perception, they critique what we do. It is almost like a a nuclear a situation wherein you just it just it's a uh, what do you say uh, it's like so many little things uh, which affects people's uh, uh, likes or dislikes of food. So yes, I I've seen that a lot. But over the time, it, it used to affect me a lot before when people say things. Uh, when they say good things, it doesn't. It just makes you happy. But when they when when they uh, when they say uh, not so good thing, or when they comment behind your back, when they comment in another platform, it used to feel bad. Uh, but over the time, I figured it is not them. It's actually it's actually the the, the nature of food is that way. You just cannot satisfy everyone. It's impossible to satisfy. You always have to try to satisfy, but you will not reach that point. It's like the word perfection, you know. I still remember Thomas Keller's uh, from French Laundry. Thomas Keller from French Laundry said, uh, "There's nothing called perfect. It's 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 the approach. You you basically you you basically travel towards the perfection. There is nothing called. You'll never reach perfection. Perfection is something which you are actually you. <laughs> that's that's kind of your wish. You just 
you're just getting there every day you get there you get to the you, you get to the point where you think it's perfect then the, the perfection moves upwards then you just travel towards that so something like that i always think that way where and then fine i mean you have a point and you have an opinion uh, i'll think about it if i want to change to your this thing i may or i may not but i'm going to base that everything out of what i feel and what our team feels what the brand feels not everybody if i'm going to decide on everybody's reaction i cannot do this business i cannot cook at all <laughs> so uh, that's something which you which you learn as you grow up i used to get upset and pissed off and all those things but now no <laughs> okay it's it's gla- i'm glad that you brought up uh, thomas keller because i have to recommend my audience uh, this really good podcast about uh, or it's called how i built this uh, and thomas keller comes on that show and he talks about restaurant and entrepreneurship uh, it's it's highly recommended that was the part 1 of my conversation with srijit stay tuned for part 2